0: technology resource, cruising on the cutting edge with me, your faithful driver, Wellington Froelich. This week, we are going to talk space. I like where your head is at right now. It's thinking, okay, last week we were at the University of Colorado Boulder, visiting the sites and seeing the robots track the sources of odors, and that was pretty niche. So now you want something mainstream, and I understand So tonight, we are cruising over to the East Coast to visit a small town called Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where they are working on a new kind of telescope that they claim changes the way we observe the night sky. The world is abuzz with the uh, recent departure of NASA's second biggest project behind uh, the Space Launch System, Um, the James uh, Project, called the James Webb Telescope. It's the largest telescope that man has flown into space and will be able to look back at light coming from planets 13.5 billion years away, meaning it took that long for the light to reach us and it is extremely faint. Another metric uh, to put that into perspective is that they theoretically could spot the heat from a honeybee as far off as from the moon. So we are looking forward to the first uh, few discoveries of that. I certainly am going to keep you updated as best I can. But how are universities pioneering the field of telescoping? We shall find out. But first, uh, we must fuel up for a brief announcement. I am hoping to get uh, an author of one of the papers uh, that I've reviewed in the past to come on to the show for a little Zoom interview to reveal some deeper thoughts. So hopefully that will happen, trying to work that uh, those details, um, time zones and such, pain. Um, Also, folks, please drop a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show on Apple Podcasts as well. Um, It helps the show grow. And like I always say, feedback is fuel for the driver, me. So I also like to remind you and everyone to send in your thoughts on these technologies we discuss and learn about for uh, the mail truck session at the end of the show. I really do look forward to that. I typically try to pose, you know, a question for folks to think about how a particular technology might be applied. And everyone has a unique twist on things, so I love to hear them. Again, the email for the show is cruisinwithwellington at gmail.com. Cruisin with no G, with at gmail.com. So, folks, let's get buckled up and hop on into our leather bucket seats in our maroon 1968 Plymouth Fury 3 convertible. We are talking uh, taking a drive uh, from the hills of Boulder to the hill of Chapel, a.k.a. Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Here at the hallowed halls of University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, there is a team called the EveryScope team led by Professor Nicholas Law. And they are making some gravitational waves in the astronomy uh, world. In the 2021 paper titled Low Cost Access to the Deep High Cadence Sky, the Argus Optical Array, they describe the benefits of their cost saving, result boosting domed telescope array. First, folks, we will take a spin down Theory Lane to look at the idea of covering the sky. Then we will glide right through Hardware and Testing Square to find out what their unique plan is and how far they've already come. Then finally, we will turn back to the on-ramp to the future and discuss the general ideas of this all-purpose telescope, um, where we will understand the benefits and all the amazing galactic events it will be able to detect. So cruisers, let's turn down now onto the EveryScope team's theory lane. The general idea behind this telescope is to continuously view the entire night sky with one apparatus. So let's step back a moment to review exactly how telescopes work. Everything we see around us is because of the light bouncing off that object and landing in our eyes. The further away that object gets, the uh, the less light there is that lands in our eye from it, so it drifts out of vision. The first way telescopes help us see distant objects is by collecting more light with a large aperture out front of us. A lens is positioned positioned at the front, uh, then bends that light in order to focus that light back into our eyes, where another lens straightens it out, and we see a clear image. And this is called a refractor telescope. They are limited to how large a piece of glass can be made. With uh, some of the largest weighing in at a couple of, a couple dozen tons of glass, and being uh, and being about uh, a meter in diameter. The other option is to reflect light off a concave dome, which also focuses it, but uh, this time back onto a small mirror in front of the dome that then sends the light to, again, a lens that straightens the light uh, out for us to, to see a clear image. The ones in operations today and the ones under construction like the extremely large telescope being built right now are far larger and more ubiquitous than the refractor types. So this dome reflection onto the mirror that is called a reflector type and they're more ubiquitous than the, the uh, refractor types. Um, and, and, and again, one of them is called the extremely large telescope being built in Chile. Now, how, though, can the folks at UNC Chapel Hill create a telescope of either kind, reflector or refractor, to image the domed sky? Their plan is to, instead of make an extremely large, extremely expensive uh, array telescope, mount many smaller commercial uh, off-the-shelf components uh, to a dome, hence the name Argon which is very apropos. It references the character from Greek mythology with eyes all over his body. In order to make this work, however, they need to stitch a bunch of videos from these uh, these, these many telescopes together and what they call co-edition co, of um, uh, the images. They need to co-add the images to produce a usable product. Now, this involves a lot of computer image processing and statistics. Coaddition essentially ensures each pixel is roughly the same quality, uh, and has roughly the same error. So results are an even looking picture. It is also common practice in the field of astronomy and was used on the images released of the first uh, black hole found in the universe not too long ago, not two years ago, I think. So now let's move on to hardware and testing square. The dome itself is looking to be around 50 feet in diameter. The telescopes they would like to use are roughly $60,000 a piece, which they claim is cheap in terms of, I guess, astronomical standards. The next biggest challenge they have had to overcome in the design process of their tower was to reduce the costs of maintenance and repair. Having to clean, calibrate, and repair the 900 plan scopes if they were on individual stands outside on a flat ground would require many people year round. In order to combat that, they decided to make, first of all, to place them all on a dome, a single dome that rotated by itself on a, on a ratchet system, uh, and to make that dome airtight. And the windows out of which each small little telescope peers. Uh, are sealed off with a gasket. Normally, the dome is intended to be controlled to uh, fifty degrees, thanks to an AC system that will keep the electronics cooled, especially the cameras. I thought it was interesting that they said it might vary from fifty degrees depending on location and season. I figured, you know, if it's a electronics room, server rack room, essentially, They'll just keep it at one one setting, but uh, perhaps I guess in a colder scenario, they'll warm it up, or however it uh, ends up being. Testing is already underway on smaller prototypes to make sure the dome, the small tracking motors, and uh, other mechanical parts, like covers for each telescope, uh, during the day. Actually, uh, yeah, during the day, so that they, that they are um, protected from the harsh sun. Uh, these prototypes and testing are already under uh, are already underway to make sure those all work. They claim uh, each image of the full Argus system will have anywhere from 10,000 to 30,000 science targets in it, which means that um, an efficient machine learning algorithm to process and filter all of those is needed along with some serious data transfer and storage plans. And they outline all of this in, in the paper. However, Um, They do estimate that the total cost of materials, construction, and operation will be around 17.2 million, which, uh, granted, is, you know, a little less than the nearly 2 billion extremely large telescope that the Europeans are constructing in Chile. But uh, this brings me to the best part of the show, the on-ramp to the future. So, folks, as we wind our way back up the ramp, this... um, Telescope won't have the power to see as clearly as the super large telescopes uh, out there um, that can look off very into very very far distances. However, uh, they the Argus team will be able to detect astronomical events faster than those cumbersome behemoths because the Argon telescope sees everything. Things they are sure they will improve observation of include imaging the collision of binary stars prior to the actual collision. These events are detected um, prior to collision by gravitational wave detectors, LIGO and Virgo to name a few, but typically telescopes are too slow to act on them, and when they do finally manage to turn around, there is a large possible error field. The All-Sky Argon Telescope will be quick enough to pick up which quadrant of the sky to focus on and then even be able to switch to fast imaging on that side. By the way, binary star collisions, especially neutron stars, result in some of the heaviest elements being blasted out into the universe, like uranium, iron, and more. Thanks to its accuracy, the Argon Telescope will also be able to match what are known as fast radio bursts with optical observations. FRBs, uh, as they're known, are still unknown, um, uh, caused by unknown factors, but most likely, they have different sources. But just like an optical telescope looks at visible light, radio telescopes look at wavelengths in the radio frequencies. And on occasion, these telescopes will pick up a very small blip, which is what we know as a fast radio burst, an FRB. And up until recently, no one was able to track where in the sky that came from. Now they've figured out FRBs are repeatable, so they've been able to pinpoint which part of the sky they do come from. And some think that they come from I was going to say earthquakes inside of stars, but it's really just star quakes or quakes inside of a star thanks to their oscillations and interior motions. The scope will also predictably help find loads more exoplanets in habitable zones through microlensing, which is when light from a distant star bends around a star between it and us or you know, the Argon telescope, and it illuminates any exoplanets uh, orbiting that around that middle star. The big one, the big improvement for me is the, in my opinion, is the detection and characterization of rocky bodies in our solar system, namely asteroids. They will build a huge data set of, of tens of thousands of asteroids in our solar system. And since they will continuously image them every night, they'll be able to characterize their spin rates, shapes, and therefore their internal structures, which is where the money is at. So, to conclude, they're doing all of this with commercial components, one guy keeping everything clean, and for a sliver of the cost of scopes out there today. I really can't wait to hear more from them in the future. So that's all, folks. Thanks for tuning into the show. Remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave a rating on Spotify. Share with your friends and your family. Email me um, at cruisingwithwellington at gmail.com. Feedback is fuel for the show. And I hope you all have a wonderful week. And I'll see you back in the leather bucket seats next time. My song recommendation for today's episode is It's Always You by Chet Baker. Go check it out. It's pretty smooth.